Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Every parable teaches one major truth. And I want you to write down the truth that we're going to see in this parable, and that is simply this, we should use our present opportunities to prepare for eternity. A wise person is one who uses present opportunities to prepare for eternity. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, most people plan for the future by making investments or maybe paying off debt, but few people understand the more pressing need to plan for eternity. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shares what we should be doing right now in order to prepare for eternal life in heaven. It's a lesson from the parable of the unjust steward. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David. For all of us at Pathway to Victory, I'm sure we'll look back on 2022 as a year when our ministry was catapulted into new territory. Even with the conflict in Eastern Europe and all the pressing issues disrupting our own country, Pathway to Victory has expanded far beyond Dallas to every major city in America and now around the world on television and the Internet. And all this growth has occurred not in isolation, but in partnership with grateful friends like you. With all this momentum, we're excited about the matching challenge in the amazing amount of $500,000. That means that your gift today, no matter the size, will have twice the impact. Now, the deadline for this matching challenge is July 4th, and I'm asking you to help us take advantage of this extraordinary opportunity to have even greater impact as we leverage these resources to push back the forces of evil and to present the truth to more people than ever before. Because of this matching challenge, your generous gift today of, say, $100 will be matched until it becomes $200. Your gift of $200 becomes $400. Some are able to give even much more. I'll say more about this matching challenge and the thank you gift we've prepared for you and your family. It's my new colorfully illustrated children's book that's titled Jesus Favorite Stories for Kids. Right now, let's turn our attention to Luke chapter 16, in which we find another favorite story from Jesus. I titled today's message, How to Survive a Layoff. How many of you would say today, I am absolutely 100% sure there is a God, there is life after death, there is a heaven and hell, and one day I'm going to be judged by God. If I were to ask you how many of you believe that is 100% certainty, most of you would say yes, and most of you would be lying. Fact is, most of us here today are not 100% sure there is a God, there is life after death, that there is a heaven and a hell. Most of us have doubts from time to time. That is only human. So some of us, if we were honest, would say, okay, well, I'm 90% sure that's going to happen. Some would say, well, I'm 50% sure that's going to happen. Some would say, you know, I really only think there's a 30% chance that's going to happen. The mistake most people make is they say, well, since I'm not 100% sure, since I'm only 30% sure, I'll ignore it and just see what happens. But go back to the 1% doctrine. The 1% doctrine says if there is even a 1% chance 
that a high-impact event like your death and your judgment by God is going to happen, then you ought to treat it as a certainty and respond accordingly. So let me rephrase the question. How many of you think there is at least a 1% chance that you're going to stand before God in judgment? If you believe there's a 1% chance that is going to occur, Jesus says you ought to treat that event as a certainty and prepare accordingly. And that's the theme of the parable we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16 as we discover how to survive a layoff. Luke chapter 16. This is one of Jesus' most confusing parables. It's confusing to a lot of people because they forget that parables don't teach many truths. They only teach one truth. People read this parable and they get hung up on the details and they think Jesus is commending dishonesty. No. Every parable teaches one major truth. And I want you to write down the truth that we're going to see in this parable, and that is simply this. We should use our present opportunities to prepare for eternity. A wise person is one who uses present opportunities to prepare for eternity. Now, let's see how Jesus illustrates that truth in today's parable. Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Now, Jesus was also saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his master's possessions. Now, in Old Testament times in Jesus' day, it was very common for a wealthy person to hire a financial manager. Now, this arrangement works out pretty well if your financial manager knows what he's doing and is honest. But that wasn't the case with this rich man. He had a steward who was either ill-equipped or dishonest because the Bible says it came to the master's attention that the steward was squandering his possessions. Verse 2, and so he called him and said to his steward, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be my steward. Now, the master said two things, basically. He said, word has come to me that you're squandering my money. I want an accounting of every dollar that has been placed under your charge. And secondly, you're fired. The the, the master said to his steward, now, you're going to lose your job, but I'm going to give you a few days to wrap everything up so that you can report to me what has happened to the money. Now, that is key to understanding this story. Now, look, verse 3. So the steward said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. He began to panic. He realized that pretty soon he was going to join the ranks of the unemployed. He was going to be without a paycheck. And so he panicked, wondering, what am I going to do to make a living? One thing you have to say about the steward is he was pretty self-aware. He knew his limitations. He knew that he was filled with pride. He didn't want to stand on the street corner and beg for money. He also knew he was allergic to hard work. He certainly didn't want to have to exert any effort. So he thought to himself, what am I going to do? But then he embarked upon a shrewd plan. Look at verse 4. I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from my job, that is the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. 
In other words, he said, as soon as I leave my master's employ, I need to make sure I've got some friends out there who will take care of me, support me, when I no longer have any money coming in. And he embarked upon a plan to make sure that he had friends on the outside ready to take care of him. And here was the plan. Verse 5. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. Remember, he was in charge of the accounts receivable. Anybody who owed his master money had to go through the steward. He summoned each of his master's debtors and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, well, I owe a hundred measures of oil. He said, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, you see what he's doing here? He calls in everybody who owes his master money and says, congratulations, today we're having a sale. It is a one-day-only sale. I'm going to discount how much you owe my master. To you, you get a 50% discount, 100 to 50. You get a 20% discount, 100 to 80. And why was he doing this? It was very obvious. He wanted to make friends for himself. He knew he wasn't going to be in his master's employ much longer, so what did he care what his master thought? He wanted to use the final few days of his job to prepare for the future. You say, wasn't that dishonest? Wasn't that illegal? Probably. But again, he was thinking about the future. Well, word came to the master about what his employee was doing. And his reaction is startling. This is one other instance where Jesus turns our thinking upside down. Look at the master's reaction in verse 8. And the master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. He said to his employee when he heard what had happened, congratulations, I have to take my hat off to you. Now, why would he react that way? Did this guy enjoy being cheated out of money? Of course not. But what he was basically saying was, you know what? If you had shown this much initiative while you were still my employee, you'd still have a job today. Congratulations for finally doing smart. (laughs) You know... Uh, People get hung up on this and think, well, is Jesus praising dishonesty? No, that's not the theme of the parable. The master praised the steward because he acted shrewdly. I want you to underline that word shrewdly in your Bible. It is a Greek word that means to act with foresight. That is, this steward was wise because he acted with foresight. He used his present opportunity as an employee to prepare himself for the future. And then Jesus says in verse 8, For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Jesus is saying sometimes unbelievers, non-Christians, pagans, are actually wiser than Christians, especially when it comes to how they handle their money. Jesus makes this application in verse 9. Why is it that we ought to act shrewdly with foresight when it comes to how we handle our money? Notice the three applications Jesus makes beginning in verse 9. First of all, he says our money can be used to make an eternal difference. Our money can be used to make an eternal difference. Look at verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails they may receive you 
into the eternal dwellings. Jesus says one day, money is going to be of absolute no use to you whatsoever. There is a day coming when money is going to fail you, and that's the moment of your death. When you die, money is absolutely of no use. Your currency will be worthless in heaven. But until that day, you can actually use your money to prepare for the future. You can use it to actually make friends for yourself. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, again, consider what the steward did. He used his present opportunity as an employee to make friends for himself on the outside so that when he joined the ranks of the unemployed, there would be people out there who would greet him, welcome him into their homes, and take care of him. And Jesus said, you've got a chance to do that right now. When you invest your money in God's work, you are ensuring that there are going to be people in heaven one day because they've come to know Christ through this ministry. You're making it possible for there to be people in heaven one day who will actually be there to greet you, to welcome you into heaven. They will come up to you and say, thank you. Thank you for using your gifts wisely. Thank you for making it possible for me to know Jesus Christ as Savior. He says our money can be used to make an eternal difference. Secondly, Jesus said our use of money is a test of our faithfulness to God. Look at verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, Who will give to you true riches? What is he talking about here? Jesus said, money is a very little thing to God. But here is where a little thing becomes a big thing. Money is a big thing in this sense. It is a barometer. It is a test of our faithfulness to God. How you use your money is perhaps the best test of all of your faithfulness to God. To be a steward means to be a manager of what God has given you. You see, sometimes when we talk about stewardship, we think it refers to just that 10% we give to the church. No, stewardship involves the other 90% as well. Because the fact is, all of it belongs to God. God has just loaned whatever money we have. It's on loan to us from God. And one day we're going to give an account to God, not just for the 10%, but how we've spent that other 90% as well. Our use of money, the whole 100% of it, is a test of our faithfulness to God. And God says, if you can't be faithful in how you use a little thing like money, do you think in eternity I'm going to give true riches to you? If somebody got a hold of your checkbook register, what could they learn about you? As they went through the different items and the amount spent on those items, what would they glean about your true priorities? You see, how we spend our money is perhaps the best test of all of our faithfulness to God. He who is faithful in a little thing is also faithful in much. Number three, Jesus reminds us that a love for God is the basis of all stewardship. He said, no servant can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That term mammon is an Old Testament term that refers to not just money, but all of our material possessions. See, Jesus said we are created in such a way that we can only have one emotional focus in life. And we're either focused on God or we're focused on money. We're either focused on the spiritual or the material. It's one or the other. It can't be both. What is the focus of your life? Is your focus on the spiritual or on the material? Let's drill down a moment. As you look at this past week, where was your time, your thought life, your energy? Where was it directed? Was it centered around the things of God? Or was it centered around material things? Acquiring them, managing them, taking care of them, worrying about them. All of our lives have one focus. We're either focused on God or we're focused on money and the things that it buys. As you answer that question honestly, maybe you realize you are in the clutch, the grasp of materialism. It has become the center of your life. How can you make money your slave rather than your master? Let's go back and see what this steward did. James Boyce and his commentary on this passage notes three actions of the steward worthy of our emulation. First of all, he viewed the future realistically. Up until this momentous day in his life, he probably thought he was going to have this job forever, that he was going to retire from this job. But when his boss called him in and said, you're fired, suddenly he had a sobering dose of reality. He realized a great change was about to occur in his life. He, for the first time, had a realistic assessment of his future. You know, I'm amazed at how many Christians don't have a realistic grasp of what awaits them. Most Christians live their lives as if they are going to live on this planet forever. They treat death as a remote possibility instead of an absolute inevitability. Do you realize you are going to die Death is not an option. It is a certainty for every one of us here today. The manager understood that. He viewed the future realistically. Secondly, he made preparation for the future. Instead of being paralyzed with panic over what awaited him, he decided to take some action. He decided to start making preparations for that inevitable future that awaited him. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are going to face a change. We're going to move from this life to eternity. And a wise person is one who starts to make preparations for that inevitability. Now, if you're not a Christian today, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the most important preparation you can make is to accept Christ as your Savior, to trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, to know that you're going to be welcomed in heaven. But listen to me, this parable is not for non-Christians. It's basically a parable for Christians. And if you are a believer today, 
The next most important preparation you can make that will affect your eternal destiny is to make sure you're investing your time, your efforts, and yes, your dollars in God's eternal work. That's what the steward did. He made preparations for the future. Number three, he acted quickly. Once he realized that the days of his employment were severely numbered, he realized he had no time to waste. He needed not to wait till motivation hit him. He needed to right now begin make preparations for that inevitability. A wise person is one who acts quickly to make preparation for the future. Gary Enrig tells the story about a man who found himself shipwrecked on what he thought was a deserted island. Soon he found that the island was filled with a large tribe. He didn't know what the tribesmen would do to him, but to his great pleasure, they treated him very, very well. In fact, they met his every need, and to his great delight, they even placed him on a throne and made him their king. Later on, as he began to understand the language more, he realized that this is one of their customs. They would select a man, make him king for a year, and then at the end of the year, they would place him in a boat, send him to a nearby island that was abandoned, and they would leave him there to die. Suddenly, his delight turned to distress as he realized what was about to happen to him. But then he came up with a plan. In the final few months of his monarchy, he decided to take some of those tribesmen and send them to that abandoned island ahead of him where they would till the land and plant crops. He sent another group of the tribesmen to that island to build for himself a beautiful mansion. And then he sent some of his best friends that he had made among those tribesmen, he sent them there to that island as well to greet him when he arrived. And finally, on the day of his exile, the tribesmen placed him in the boat. They sent him to that island that had been carefully prepared, filled with friends who were there to receive him. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says if you're a Christian, you're about to take a journey. And your destination is not some remote island, it's heaven, where Jesus Christ himself will be there to greet you. Nevertheless, Jesus says in this parable, the preparations we make in this life will follow us throughout all eternity. Enrig says, fools serve money and leave it all behind. Shrewd believers serve God and invest in eternity. So the question remains, are you investing all your energy and resources into things that will fade away? Or are you living with eternity in view? I'm hoping and praying that Jesus' parable will help millions around the world to realign their priorities with God's. Along those lines, let me remind you that Pathway to Victory has received a generous gift from kingdom-minded friends. These families banded together and asked, how can we make the biggest impact right now to help Pathway to Victory pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word? And here's what they did. They put together the matching challenge in the amount of $500,000. It's designed to motivate others to give generously too. And when you give a generous gift between today and July 4th, it will be matched dollar for dollar, having twice the impact. Even in today's dark and chaotic culture, we're steadfastly committed to proclaiming the truth 
especially when our culture is fearful about inflationary trends and all of the distracting issues that surround it. Will you be among those who give generously with eternity in mind? Your gift goes towards something that will never fade away, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plus, when you give a generous gift toward the Matching Challenge today, I'm going to say thanks by sending my new fully illustrated children's book that's designed to engage your child or grandchild in 10 very important lessons from Jesus. My new book is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids, and it's yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. So, thanks for responding today with your generous gift toward the matching challenge. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. The brand new children's book called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids is yours today when you give a generous gift to the ministry of Pathway to Victory. To make your request, call 866-999-2965 or online, go to ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also include the complete unedited CD and DVD sets for this study on the parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Remember, because of the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, your gift will be effectively doubled in impact by another generous donor. So request your copy of these resources today. Call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, then be sure to jot down this address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again Thursday when Dr. Jeffress continues his study on the parables of Jesus with a message called The Other Story About Two Sons, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.